Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2018. My name is Amato, and with me are... Tori. And Deco, or Dom, if you like. Mm-hmm. How are y'all doing tonight? <laughs> I'm doing wonderful. Yeah, pretty Deco. good, pretty good. There is no Deco, Dom. Don't try to claim that spot. Well, I was supposed to be on the show, but I got... Uh, they're scheduling conflicts, so they oh, didn't yeah. write me out. Makes sense. I, why else do you think they'd go from ABC to E and F? Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you not notice that before? Not until Deco brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is not exactly on theme, but I have something else vaguely fandom related I want to talk about. Oh. Yeah, my oldest child is super into Pokemon right now mm-hmm. and listening to music on Amazon Music. Okay? okay? And he found the Pokemon albums. And the one he attached to was Pokemon Christmas Bash, which came out around mm-hmm. the Johto era. And it's quite an album, and I've heard it many, many times in the last week. <laughs> what is this Christmas bash? What's involved in it? Well, the very first song starts with everyone taking turns doing something that could be described as rapping. And the first character that does that is the Pokédex, and they define it for you. They say something along the lines of, Christmas, a time of year for peace on earth and to have good cheer. A bash, a rockin' party, or something, 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 and the laughter is hearty. So, you know. I'm the Pokédex, and I'm here to say. (laughs) (laughs) I like Uh, big butts. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Pokédex. Anyway, that's that's what a Pokémon Christmas bash is about, apparently. Okay. So it's a mix of, like, original Christmas music and the characters doing vaguely Pokémonized versions of classic Christmas songs, or in some cases, not Pokemonized versions. So you have just Team Rocket performing chestnuts, I guess a Christmas, the Christmas song, whatever. And so it's like chestnuts roasting on an open fire. <laughs> Jack Frost nipping at your nose. You know, oh my it's, God. It's amazing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that sounds um, absolutely incredible. It's kind of incredible. Like, incredible. My only choice is to like it. <laughs> because the alternative is to go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> My child has forced me into a position where I must like the Pokemon Christmas soundtrack. I think that's the position with most parents and media their children consume. Oh, yeah. And kind of hands tied behind your back at that point. We do have a more of an appreciation for the voice actors, though, because we did not know until looking it up that Brock and James and then Misty and Jesse, they shared voice actors. Yeah. I, I did not know that. I didn't know that as either. I, I've always liked James's, well, liked is strong, but I thought James's voice was pretty amusing. Tolerated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty amusing. Like, it's actually kind of really annoying to listen to as an adult, but mm-hmm. it was pretty funny as a kid. It's interesting going back to the newer seasons with the dub where you have the replacement voice actor who's obviously trying to copy that. Yeah, I know. One. And it gets lost in the translation. You know that um, Meowth's original voice actor, actress, actress. was a trans woman? Yeah. Which no, is pretty, no. pretty and, cool. And I, I have one more thing to say about her. It's just made me appreciate her job. Where, like, okay, you're voicing Meowth on this show, Pokemon. You don't know it's going to get popular. A few years later, you're like, oh, and by the way, you're performing a brand new original novelty Christmas song in Meowth's voice. Here it is. <laughs> That's just something you've got to do now. So she also <laughs> sang for that soundtrack? Oh, yeah. Oh, and, my gosh. And, now well, I have to hear it. Because she's my hero. Meowth's song, like I said, it, it's not even Pokemon themed. It's just a novelty Christmas song. That's original 
for the album that she sings as Meowth. And like, I don't know what to think, but I'm, I'm just impressed with the professionalism on display of people who have to do this random shit for these character Yo, voices. I would have so much fun. Yeah. Like, imagine just being like, you're just sitting back and you're like, all right, you have to do this like exaggerated Brooklyn accent, like as a Pokemon cat. Right. How do you perform this? And I mean, she does it pretty well. Yeah. Like, yes, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I love Meowth episodes. Love. <laughs> like the Meowth's like origin story where it's like, where he learns to and talk he has to, to learn impress to, like, a girl? Is that it? Yeah, well, he wants to learn to talk to impress a girl cat, and girl Meowth's pardon, and then he learns to walk on his hind legs, and it's, like, extremely painful for him to learn how to do it, because it's mm. not natural, but he, like, pushes himself And, like, wasn't the, the, other, time, the like, other Meowth just totally unimpressed at the end? Yeah, absolutely. And why would the other Meowth care? No, I don't know why either, but it became a hugely integral part of Meowth's identity that he learned to read mm-hmm. and write and speak and walk on his hind legs, like, even though he was, like, poor and had, like, nothing. So Meowth was... basically taught itself sapience. Well, yeah. ever no, all the Pokemon are sapient, though. Are they? Aren't they? Wait, what? Like, all the Pokemon are just as intelligent. They just don't speak human, right? Well, they're, they're sentient. Sentient. They're not... They're not sapient like Meowth? Wait, what? Doesn't yeah. sapient mean, like... Thinking about... Yeah, isn't that like thinking about thinking, like, metacognition stuff? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, think, I was confused. I think therefore I am. Cookie, mm. Cookie your girl's son. Well... I think all the Pokemon think they just don't speak English yeah. or Japanese, depending on <laughs> either any of the languages that Pokemon has been translated into. Which is all of them. <laughs> okay. Speaking of things that are jelly donut, jelly donut. <laughs> right. The, I can't believe they tried to sell off the food they eat like for almost every meal as a jelly donut. I that confused me so much. It also because it doesn't look like a donut. Because it doesn't look like a donut. If they named it something else entirely, that would have been more acceptable. They could have said rice ball, and kids would have been like, ball. "It's a ball of rice." I get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, That's all I'm saying. Or they could have made up a word that that would have made more sense yeah. than try to connect something I already know with something that looks completely, completely different. Different. Yeah. It's traumatizing. Really? The most important thing is that there just is not a rice Pokemon. Because there need to be some things that you can still eat in the Pokemon world. <laughs> they eat meat in the Pokemon they world. They eat meat, yes. So, you never see like any... it's all Magikarp meat, right? the head. Yeah, they there's... do fish for the Magikarp. The, the there are steaks, though, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From you a never see any cows. <laughs> you see Tauros. You do. Mill tanks. Yeah. Mm. Well, we won't ask too many questions about that. Are salads made out of oddishes? <laughs> well, all I know is that there is a Pokemon that is just an ice cream cone, so I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Vanellish. But you're delish. Van- van- delicious. Vanellicious. Delicious. In that world, which came first, the treat ice cream cone or that Pokemon? I'm going to... <laughs> what makes sense here? I was going to say I was going to hope that the... Pokemon took that form, evolved, whatever, later to, like, blend in. But why would you blend in as a food stuff? <laughs> right. That doesn't quite scan. Because either this, no. this Pokemon existed first and they created a treat that looked exactly like it. Okay, but they do that. Like, they have minion-shaped popsicles. Yes, but is it, like, anatomically correct completely to a minion shape? Or is it, like, minion-inspired shape? 
I don't know. I want to say almost anatomically correct, the shape of a minion. But well, that's only because they're shaped a minion, like a gun, sure. a gun drop. But yeah, you're right. Like, a lot of these things are not. However, it would be even more bizarre if what Amato said was true, that the vanillish decided to look like ice cream. Maybe because people love ice cream. That's sad. Yeah, it's, it is a little sad. Yeah. yeah. But okay. it's believable. Well, speaking of franchises featuring a character that says chew a whole lot, voiced by the same voice actress in Japanese, our topic today is Revolutionary Girl Utena. Holy whining. <laughs> I do my best. Uh, yeah, I, I try to find a, <laughs> an avenue. Yeah, Amato's just waiting for like the, the appropriate segue to steer us back onto the topic we're actually supposed to be talking about. Well, I originally steered us off of it, so, you know, I can't be upset. Today, we are turning to Revolutionary Girl Utena, which is pretty much my jam. So be proud of me for holding off as long as I did to choose a some obscure experimental fanfics from an experimental anime that we're talking about <laughs> in an experimental format, because we're doing three of them today. I, I, I am kind of applauding you. It's definitely your, your jam and your jelly and your, your marble. It's your everything, and you've held back for so long. It's really the only fandom that I actually have ever engaged with. Yeah, I'm proud. I'm proud. I'm proud of you, but I'm also slightly confused because we were all itching to talk about Utena as well. So, well, we're gonna have a chance today. We are talking about three short pieces of Revolutionary Girl Utena fan fiction by John Carp, who is a fanfic author that I am fond of. He wrote Utena and Sailor Moon stuff, and the Sailor Moon stuff is just as weird as his Utena stuff. But because the baseline of weirdness for Sailor Moon is lower, they seem weirder. Yeah. If that, that makes was, sense. That's literally what I was about. It was contemplating in my brain just now. I was like, how could you make Sailor Moon fanfiction as weird as Utena is? Uh, maybe someday we'll find out, depending on how much you like these. Anyway, these three fanfics are um, Exit Pursued by a Bear, Hung Jury, and Other People. They're hosted on the, the archived copy of the Utena fanfiction repository, which is now immutable and unchanging and hosted on otori.new. We are providing a link there at bit.ly slash rfr john carp utina. I think that's the same thing I said last time. Carp with a C? Carp with a C, like the fish. No, not not like the like the other fish. Wait, not Magikarp? like the magic. No. <laughs> john Magic Carp Utina. <laughs> Don't confuse the listeners, the motto. Anyway, they're also located at the author's fanfiction.net account, which is John Carp. Author ID 62212, but that's all repostings of stories that were originally posted elsewhere. And um, I'm not sure when they were published exactly, but January 2002 at the earliest, because that's when they were put up on fanfiction.net. I didn't do the research to find out when they ended up on the Utena fanfiction repository. So, Revolutionary Girl Utena, should we briefly talk about it or our relationship with it? Well, why don't you start? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? Yes. Uh, what what happened with me and Revolutionary Girl Utena? I remember, like, finding a couple of episodes in RM back in the day. Like, start, I started with, like, episode four. I didn't even have episode five, which is the, the other half of Mickey's Duel. <laughs> it was, like, that and episode seven and, I think, the Curry episode. And it was, like, really different and unlike anything else I'd seen. And so I tracked down the DVDs there and then got fan subs of the last arc and didn't see the Black Rose arc until later because there was a period of time when the Black Rose arc was licensed but not yet released, and so the fan subbers wouldn't distribute it, it was a weird time. They, they licensed one arc? At a time? 
I guess. Huh. I don't quite know what was going on there. Maybe I'm misremembering. But the point is, um, I kind of got in on near the ground floor of the Utina forums that were set up by Giovanna and Yasha at um, virtual... Wait, what's the name of the website? Uh, Empty Movement. And... Uh, and since then was kind of engaged with the fandom. And back when I was in Japan and had free time on my hands, I started translating Utena stuff. And I got through quite a bit of Utena stuff before I, my children became too numerous and large for me to translate anything else. <laughs> so I translated the light novels. I translated about half of the game and was the lead like editor on that. The Sega I, Saturn game? That's, there's only one game, but yeah, the Sega Saturn know. game. <laughs> um, sadly, there's not a racing game based on the movie. <sighs> Such a bummer. You think that'd be an easy uh, project to do, just a Utna kart racer? Yeah. Mm. That's what everyone wants to see. The, <laughs> Double dash yeah, style. Um, you get to choose your driver, too. Well, exactly. You get, I aim to get like a like a sword that just gives you like a dash forward, knocks uh-huh. out the person in front of you. Yeah, I'm having a really hard time visualizing wanting to play this concept. I'm not going to lie. Like, I would want to play it because it's Utna, <laughs> but like, conceptually, it's so distressing. Like... Who's going to be having the driving and car relationship with whom? <laughs> well, you pick them. Just like Double Dash. Double it's dash. Like, it's I'm sort of have... like picking two people to have sex with each other. Well, I'm not going to lie. Well, it's an game. That's, yeah. yeah, see, that's why I wouldn't want it to do... <laughs> Never mind. This is also a fan fiction <laughs> podcast, so... <laughs> So, yeah, I'm not seeing the problem here. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I said I'd podcast about fan fiction. I didn't say I would write it. Or no, not yet. Yeah. Engage in fan pairing with y'all. Uh, you didn't read your contract too closely, did you? Uh, I think your soul must have given up entirely if you cannot hear the sound of this great video game concept racing about the end of the world. <laughs> Instead of like item boxes, they'd be like roses. You fly into them and they'd fly apart. Uh-huh, totally. <laughs> okay, well, you two just get working on that and I'll be over here. So for items, you have like an egg, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the point is I translated a bunch of stuff. And now I've kind of fallen off of it since the fandom has sort of moved away. Oh, yeah, like I before I translated the game, I did a, a Let's Play of it, the only Let's Play I've ever done. Um, and I've kind of fallen off of it since the fandom has kind of moved more to Tumblr and also, like I said, children. But, like, I'm really into Utena. I, because of your children, not because the fan base has moved to Moved to children? children. No, it, just because of children in general. It's it's their fault. Well, once you said I moved to Tumblr, I kind of, th- I had the, like, the latter thought, Dom. Like, oh, it's moved to the children? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> No offense, Tumblr. <laughs> it's the next generations now. It belongs to them. Yeah. Yep, yep. Anyway, I really like Utena. I really like the themes. I really like a lot of the style and a lot of the characters and a lot of the writing. Not, you know, everything about it, but there's a lot to talk about and think about and... Um, it's mostly pretty, except when the wrong sort of animators get it. So Una came out in the late 90s or so? 96, I want to say. And how close to that uh, until you hopped onto the fan wagon? Before I started watching it? Yeah. Probably not all that long. Would have only been a year or two, I think. You would have been really young. Uh, late middle school? Wow. It's because like, I didn't see it until college, and I'm not going to lie, I didn't understand it the first time I saw it. So I'm not saying I understood it. Well, no, I'm not <laughs> saying that you did either, but I'm just impressed that you still enjoyed it and, like, perceived it. It, mm-hmm. it is very beautiful. It's just, it is, it, that's quite tough material for, you know, especially, you know, how we grew up, you know, in the early 2000s and late 90s in middle school, being very, like, isolated from... I don't know, we didn't have the internet, really. 
the we at least kind of, had of the kind of the internet, but we didn't have like Tumblr, which taught us about like gender and sexuality and like all of these concepts that are presented at Utena yeah, as well. I did yeah. have a dial-up modem, which meant if I spent about an hour or so and nobody called the house, I could download one chapter of Translated Naruto. <laughs> <laughs> See. You know, the first part was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was like, Naruto? <laughs> no offense. Hey, Shonen's fun. Mm-hmm. Shonen's fine. Just also, uh, it would have been late late middle school would have been 2000, 2001 or so. Then I'm probably wrong. <laughs> Unless you're secretly like three years, three or four years older than I thought you were. No, it probably would have been about then. I mean, I can look up when the DVDs came out initially because it was around then that I bought them. Uh but, you know, that would take time and effort. Well, I just remember we were in 7th seventh, seventh to 8th grade, I think, in Y2K. Mm, and that was a thing. You're, we were in 8th grade during the 2000 presidential elections. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I was in 6th grade. That makes sense. So it probably would have been more like that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's been a while. Um, and now it's all culminated into talking about some fanfics that I read a long time ago. Actually, I never did read Hung Jury back in the day. But one of these three really stood out in my mind, and so I wanted to talk with them about some people. Well, um, Tori, do you have a history with the, this franchise oh, also? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, actually, it's kind of ironic because as, as Amato was talking, I kind of realized the reason I know Utna is because of Amato. Is that because, right? Well, because Taran showed it to me, and okay. you probably showed it to Taran. Absolutely, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, my uh, the reason I know Amato is through a mutual friend who showed me Utna kind of before I even got to know Amato very well. Um, and that, was, uh, in, when I was in college, and maybe 19 or 20, and it was pivotal for me. Like, I was, it's beautiful. You know, I, I was an English major in college. I saw this, like, very beautiful piece of literature that I just wanted to study. And I guess, you know, at the time, I was a pretty, like, sheltered kid, and I was kind of naive to maybe the more gay implications of the series. Like, there was something there that I I felt in my heart, and it wasn't until my second watch through a couple years later, after I kind of come out as being gay and trans, that I kind of really understood. Like, I knew that it was talking about gender, because I was really focused on gender at that age, because I was trying to understand my own. And when I finally got to, like, the reality of like Utena's lesbianism, I was like, this is kind of perfect, like, in how it talks about gender. Like, the first time I, I saw it, I was like, it's essentialist. And then the second time I was like, it's essentialist, but that's fine because the message that it's getting across, like, if you accept that it's essentialist, you can get so much out of the series. So that's what I had to kind of move past for myself. Well, it's interesting and I think because. It's beautiful and yeah. gay, and I love gay. There's a lot of queer content in it, but the way I see it, what it's really, really concerned about is gender roles more yeah. so than, like, sexual, like... But and, that's intrinsically yeah, tied no, together. Well, it, it is. Yeah. Sorry, not to uh, interrupt you. Uh, but yeah, I just think it's it's an, also an unusual focus that you don't see highlighted in a whole lot of series. Is exactly. Like, yeah. And, and I think it was especially important to me because when I first saw it, I was still struggling with gender, so I was like kind of upset about a lot of the like gender that I saw portrayed in it because I was upset with how gender affected me and I just didn't want it to be that way. Mm-hmm. Like I was upset by the essentialism of it. And then I kind of like had to take a relook at it and see like an entire gay history, an entire history that informed like 
how Utna can be a woman and be kind of like a butch woman in this world and like use lesbianism to kind of break out of the expected performed identity. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, that that's just my, my little personal. Dom, anything plug. you <laughs> wanted to say about it before we move on? Um, I don't have as much experience with Utna as you all do. I watched it, I think bits and pieces when you showed it to me. Must yeah, been, that's how I watched it originally too. Some, must have been middle school or something. And I feel like I was interested in um, getting the rest of the friend group to watch it, although we all watched it separately. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of re- realized with um, anime franchises, I don't often rewatch a lot of them. Like the ones I do end up rewatching are cheesy fluff that I just kind of do when I want to uh, vegetate. And when I do rewatch, it's because I'm showing it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I've seen Evangelion about um, five or six times through, just showing it through, showing it to different people at different times. And Utna has never been one I could share with somebody else starting out. Right. Because um, <sighs> there's a lot of barriers to entry. You kind of have to like be on board for what it is from the start. Huge barriers to entry, and it's very specific target population because like I have a lot of people I watch anime with Mm -hmm. and they can be flexible with what they watch but this is very outside of any sort of box whatsoever right from from the get-go like I I tried showing this to my little sister we watched a lot of um, shoujo stuff together all the time so I thought okay it might be a little bit difficult getting through some some of this imagery but I think if once you get through it into the story then be easier to sell her on it then like I hadn't rewatched the first episode in a long time then we watched the first episode and like just got to the part to the first uh, entrance to the castle s- scene with all the music, uh, upside down, floating, rotating castle. Kelsey's just like, yeah, I'm not getting it. I'm like, I, I get you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push any further on this. Every time I've shown it to someone, I've just had to be like, you need to be patient. And most of the people I've shown it to are trans lesbians like myself. So like, they saw the payoff at the end. I was like, there is a payoff, and be patient. And when like things started to really build into that gender narrative and the lesbian narrative. Like, it was definitely that big payoff. But there's a lot you have to wade through that you won't understand at yeah. the start. And you're mm-hmm. right, big barrier to entry. And big barrier to entry, I think, especially since most people I tried to show it to were cis straight people who just weren't interested. And yeah. Even, even I am just, like, not very interested in the first, like, six episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Like- it's really hard to get into <laughs> it. You don't know where it's going. Like, I think the biggest... The thing is, like, the first time I watched it was, like, so convoluted in my brain. The second time, I knew where it was going. I was, like, enjoying every moment of it. The biggest, the hardest part of showing Utna to someone is not saying what you're thinking when you're thinking. Because you think of something new, too, every time you watch it. But you can't do that when everybody's watching something for the first time. Exactly. You can't be like, so you don't know this, but, and I just thought of this, but this is what this means, and this (laughs) means because this happens and that happens, and you're eventually going to learn this, but it's, no. I do my best compromising by... Make, taking mental notes about that and then waiting until they've reached that point then trying to reintroduce the topic. Yeah, I take physical notes because I'm just like sitting there like <laughs> writhing in my seat like I need to get this out. That sounds better, I think. Yeah. Not, not By the way, not that I have anything against, you know, um, straight cis people. Some of my best friends are straight and cis, so. I, yeah, some of them. So I can't. <laughs> There's a few people. Uh, uh, probably a couple. One. <laughs> just two. one. One or two. They're nice people though, so it's fine. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, Amato. So let's jump into this because we've got a weird format today, like I said, with three short fanfics. 
the order they're listed on the site are Exit Pursued by a Bear, Hung Jury, and then Other People. But Exit Pursued by a Bear and Other People go together. So let's just start with Exit Pursued by a Bear, shall we? Okay. This is a short fanfic. And this is what happens when you sometimes let Utena fans write fanfiction. You get this kind of thing. Um, if you're not familiar with Utena, there are some characters called the Shadow Girls who perform little interpretive shadow plays in the middle of every episode that relate somehow to the themes of that episode. And this fanfic is about them backstage from the Utena TV show, sort of, before the very, very end of the show, which is their last appearance as voices. Do they talk about this as a TV show? They do not, which is interesting. They never, ever acknowledge that it's a TV show. But they're talking in, ter- in this fanfic. Yeah. But they're talking in terms of having this role in this story all the time. I don't think they mentioned... I just thought of it as a vague meta-theater, their, their Greek chorus in a... It, it definitely is. Yeah. Like, they're not, they're not talking about it or thinking about it as a TV show. Yeah. And I think that's a really good choice. Um, because this is portraying the three TV series Shadow Girls, Aiko, Biko, and Siko, like you said, as some sort of, like, meta-narrative-aware Greek chorus actresses. It's the Greek chorus green room. The Greek chorus green room. And they have, like, awareness of themselves. Like, they know that, I mean, they're, they're fully aware of themselves as, like, actresses, or actors, or, you know, they're actors, that go from role to role, both within this show and... Um, apparently, like, outside of outside of the Utena narrative itself. Like, they talk about taking other roles or wanting to take other roles or how this role is going to be over for them soon. I initially really liked the tone of this, of um, actors in a, in a green room, mm-hmm. just being a, somebody who's done a, a bit, a community theater at the time. There's a lot of actual griping that goes on like this. It's like, oh, I, I hate acting. I hate being the, the background characters. Like, but you're good at it, and do you actually want to? Right. And one of the ways they frame that here is that as a actor or like a real person in the story, people like Utna are at risk, like bad things are going to happen to them. Real things are going to happen to them. And in the role that the Shadow Girls are in, real they have no real risk along with their no real presence. Yeah, uh, to them it's just a show. Right. Um, Tori, anything? Yeah, I mean, just that it's an interesting conversation, like especially how the... I mean, you know, to speak specifically to what they're saying when they start out, mm-hmm. they're really talking very <laughs> meta talking about, about the, the series of the show and the yeah, yeah, and it's a lot of like obvious themes. Like, and I won't. I'm only going to say obvious in the light of like anybody who's uh, like thought about this in like a very careful way has been like, yes, a rose and a sword. Of course, we have phallic and yonic imagery. Yeah, but I like how um, is it Biko who's like, yeah, obviously yeah, that's obviously. obvious, but. Um, but it actually, they do actually end on an interesting question, and that's how the conversation goes. Yes, and I thought it was really funny, too, though, because um, there were so many things that when they were talking, you know, it just seemed like the author's perspective, but it also, like, you know, it, it made me want to enter the conversation because mm-hmm. there's so many things, like, that they kind of ignore in the conversation, um, such as, like... Um, sexuality pertaining to the Rose Bride, like, what what are they saying is the sexuality of the Rose Bride? Mm-hmm. And what are they meaning by that? And saying, like, the domination of the the Rose and the Sword, like, we, we know it know to be biologically essentialist. We can ignore the fact, like, I've learned to look past the, the trans, like, there's no trans implications in this show. It's just, it's essentialist. But um, I've learned to accept that. 
But the point is, is like, you know, if these characters are all losing their virginity, the sword piercing the rose is the sword wielder losing their virginity as well. And they, they completely, they say one line about misogyny, but then they never, they don't speak to what that actually means to them. So it's like the author saying the obvious misogyny of this, ignoring the obvious misogyny of this. And it's like, what is the obvious misogyny of that? Like, can you explain it? Well, and and that's a really interesting point. Is it's like, yes, I have a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> it's almost like prompting the reader to be like, "What? Wh- wait, I I need to." And that's exactly what Uten, uh, the series does as well. So I thought that was very interesting. Well, Aiko and Biko don't get deep into the actual discussion of the themes there because no. it's just kind of a, a framing to get them into it before Absolutely. they start talking yeah. about the role stuff, and. Um, they've kind of got their own concerns in this fanfic, but one of my issues with it was that it, it was kind of hard for me to f- to separate out what Aiko and Biko and Seiko's like different kind of motivations in this are. I was reading this from a like acting class student, like one act perspective. Yeah. So like, if I was playing Aiko, like what are my motivations here? And it's like kind of sometimes hard to unravel. And part of that is that they have like they're describing ridiculous Greek chorus acting practices, like. Um, there's this exchange where A says, Aiko says, want to run lines? And Biko says, okay, better get into character. Aiko says, I'm already in character. No, Biko you're says, not. No, you're, right. <laughs> yes, I am. I was practicing earlier today and just had the character put on my personality rather than regressing back to myself and then getting back into character later. Faster this way. You are indeed a consummate actor. Thank you. <laughs> and so the tone they're setting is that these, these actor people, these Greek chorus actor shadow characters are kind of weirdos. Like, they're... they're they're actors. They're weird. Right. Yeah. But they're also, like, kind of, you know, extrapolating from that and talking about the different layers of how we present ourselves in the world. Like, mm-hmm. how an actor is presenting themselves as a different person every time. But it's always kind of, like, a facet of how they could potentially behave or exist in the world. So, like, these when they these shadow players have always blurred the lines between an actor and, a, and someone who is existing in the world. And it kind of is nice to see that, like, yes, we all kind of act in our day-to-day lives in different <laughs> roles. That, that's kind of, They point to that very directly. But there's also weird things where you get the impression where they're putting on roles in their day-to-day life also. Not yeah, just role. like their only well, existence is roles. There's that exchange between A and B that it might be the same one we're looking at here, yeah. suddenly exploding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, A says, Biko, are you okay? You don't sound like yourself. I'm not myself. I'm not Biko. I'm just a normal high school girl with all the requisite fears and problems, and I hate acting. I just want to be a star one day. That's the only reason I ever joined this drama club. This role again, <laughs> says Aiko. And, and, you know, then Aiko proceeds to say, okay, then, if you're a normal high school girl, then I'm a horrible monster, and transforms into a horrible, a humongous monster because they're shadow creatures that can do this, apparently. And that sort of implies that in their day-to-day conversations, they might accidentally just kind of slip into a shadow play thing. Well, I well, believe it. <laughs> I think it implies that they don't have normal day-to-day yeah, conversations, I think but you're they right. are all of these facets, mm-hmm. and that one of those facets is ordinary high school girl. Right. Right, because I keep on talking about which one which one was that? That was wanting to be a star girl. Right. When exactly. they were talking about themselves doing something. And so, exactly. the which is interesting because one of the events in the series that looms large in this fanfic is the scene in the Tale of the Rose episode, which is kind of like a lot of backstory info dump from a couple of unreliable narrators. The scene where the 
Eiko and Biko show up physically in front of Utena, and you never see their faces, mm-hmm. but they are physically there, and they're inviting mm-hmm. her to join the drama club, and she's like, uh, I, I'm doing a lot of, like, club activities already, and they're like, okay, well, at least come see our show. You see the and back of their heads, episode. right, or something? You see the back of their heads, mm-hmm. but they've got, like, you know, flesh on, yeah. and Utena, who they implicitly can like, see their faces, is not real. freaking out looking at a monstrous void or anything. So if they are mm-hmm. aliens, they at least look like humans. Right, or can look like humans or whatever. <laughs> and what was that? I was going to say that it speaks very greatly to the fact that there isn't much of a difference, you know, that these mm-hmm. performative elements exist. And a lot of that is Utna performing the prince. That's a performative mm-hmm. element of her existence. These are performative players in their shadow realm, but they can exist in the real realm because the performance and the reality, the lines are completely blurred. And I think that's the whole point of the character's existence. But yeah, no, I on. think you're totally right. They're supposed to be these weird liminal figures and so with that, with that aside, you know, it never comes back in the show, but in this fanfic, uh, who, who is musing that, like, Utna really should have joined them because then, you know, she would have escaped the narrative if she had become like them. Uh, yeah, A says, well, we tried to help her. If she joined the drama club, she'd have already known the ending of the story, which, you know, does not end well for Utna at the end of the show, or at least not clearly well for her. I'm still not sure we did the right thing. The hero isn't supposed to be a member of the chorus. It would cause all the sorts of problems. If the hero becomes omniscient, then... Then the hero might get a happy ending for once. Right, which is what they're kind of muse about for a while, whether knowing everything and being able to do the right thing is similar or not. I think it implies, though, that, like, <clears throat> Utna couldn't have done that and remained in the story. I mean... They, these people can't be in the story, despite all of um, Biko especially yes. kind of saying she wants to be, like, well, one of the main character hero types. Yeah. The hero can't have all the knowledge. Otherwise, they wouldn't be playing the hero. Right. And the the focus of the Shadow Players is exactly to comment on the narrative without participating in it. And I think one of the great points in Utena is the scene where he's talking about Amato, where, like, they break that and they interact mm-hmm. with the story, but it's the implication that if this were a reality, this the situ- this whole story of Utna, we're mm-hmm. being told, you know, it's sort of breaking the fourth wall. We're being told Utna is a story. If this were a reality, we'd see that, you know, everybody is, uh, like, performing in ways that are influenced by media as well as existing in reality. And I think that's what the shadow players serve to reinforce is that there is a difference between the performative and the real but oftentimes that's blurred in the existence that we endure day to day due to what we do absorb in media and the performative elements of existing, like phatic speech and performing heterosexuality and growing up and getting married mm-hmm. and having kids. That's all performative, and I think that's a big part of the story. And it's in all these um, societal roles and expectations, sort of the, the expected world, the, the world shell that they're trying to break throughout the show. Yeah, in ways, I well, think that could be the interpretation. Yeah. I mean, Togue is the one who says the chick speech, and, you know, yeah. it's, I'm not sure it's, I'm not sure you can clearly say that's what Togue is going for. Well, but, uh, but the actual, yeah, no, go on. That's, that's actually um, from a philosophical book from a different author. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, from, like, well, it's, it's modified from Demian. Demian, yeah. Damien. And a lot um, of that's talking about. Oh, by Herman Hess? Yep, yeah. that's where oh, the chick speech is drawn from. I had no idea. I read that book when I was a teenager. Oh, really? The, yeah, the music that not plays like during... years before I actually saw Utna. I didn't realize that. The music that's playing during the elevator scene in the chick speech is called The God's Name is Abraxas. Oh, 
I had no idea. That's so funny. But yeah, um, it's interesting because I used to love Herman Hesse when I was like a teen. I think he's a little, uh, he's, uh, he's interesting to me at this point, but a lot of his stuff is just about escaping from reality. And I can see why even as creators might have been inspired by that. Escaping from reality, but undergoing like sort of a demonic sexual crisis at the same time. One last thing I wanted to comment on here is just, it's it's neat having Seiko set up as kind of not as tight as Aiko and Biko are. Like clearly they're friends, they perform together all the time. Mm-hmm. And Seiko's sort of like in this fanfic, a little bit more on the periphery of their like friend group. And it's just funny seeing that because she performs by herself in the show most of the time. And they're just, like, reflecting that in their, like, backstage lives. Well, that's what happens in a show. When you're not in a scene together, a lot of times you'll, you'll never see a different actor. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. that is actually a huge, perfect, like, point here that's going on. Is It's like, when you perform a stage production, mm-hmm. it becomes a part of yourself, a part of your life. The actor you interact with more becomes closer to you because you're closer on stage. And that's exactly what these players are trying to play out. Like... A stage presence, something you're performing, can become and interact with you as a part of your life. We, we should read uh, Romeo and Monaco again. Yeah, we probably should. When we were getting ready yeah. for this fanfic, uh, for this podcast, one of the fanfics Dom and I read, like, experimentally, was Romeo and Minako, the Sailor Moon fanfic that just, like, discusses those themes very explicitly, and it's kind of interesting. And, mm. Tori, considering how you and I talk about Brecht sometimes, <laughs> yeah. it might be interesting. Love absurdism. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Alienate the audience. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> That's what I do in my day-to-day life. If you don't know who Brecht is, fuck you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so Tom's it's, on board it's, with it's that. It's a joke about alienating the audience. <laughs> it's a joke about Brecht. Because if you really care about it. audience. Because if you really cared about it, you'd, you'd look it up and understand what it is. Because yeah. you felt insulted and isolated. Maybe <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then what's going to get through so, to you anyways? Just, yeah. So, like, I don't care if anyone ever listens to this. <laughs> Fuck anyone who listens to this. <laughs> yes, that's the message that we want to convey. Um, any comments Tori makes does not officially represent the views of the fanfic as the fanfic podcast as a whole. It doesn't necessarily not represent either. <laughs> it represents one third of the views of our podcast. I think Dom's doing the best job alienating the audience. I'm not gonna lie. Like I said, this I... doesn't reflect or not reflect our opinion. <laughs> Like you I have said, no idea what our opinion is. Uh, like I mentioned, I have lots of experience doing this in my day-to-day life. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one is a sequel? A spiritual successor? Spiritual successor is a good term. Yeah. The author says this is a sequel in everything but title and content to <laughs> Exit Pursued by a Bear. Very abstract. It has no connection to the other one, except that thematically it seems vaguely connected. It's also written in a mm. pseudo-script form. It's the, the same format. Yeah. Now... I found, as a performer, I found it, and I'm not saying you necessarily need to read this as a performer, but as an amateur performer, I found it hard to latch on to the characters in Exit Pursued by a Bear. In other people, I read this and I was like, oh, I want to perform that role of Shiori in other people. Like, that's a good one-act stage role. That's hilarious, because I kind of felt the opposite. Like, I really wanted to read for (laughs) Aiko and Biko and Zico, the first one. But that's only because I'm fucking crazy. I I think Shiori would be a a good performance. Yeah. Yes, I I I agree with that. I didn't feel the same uh, draw as much as the Exit Pursued by the Bear was. Fair enough. Maybe that's because we're trying to alienate our audiences. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, other, you think, don't think other people is alienating enough? 
Oh, yeah, it's pretty alienating. <laughs> anything with Shiori is pretty alienating. I think it's actually a bit too alienating. Well, this is a fanfic. Yeah, uh, yeah oh, it d- deals a lot with the continuity. And as someone who's not as, who hasn't seen Utna in, in years, I had to actually stop and look up what a lot of people uh, are talking about, including Mikage. <laughs> understandable. It's second nature to me. Yeah, uh, same. <laughs> but that's after seeing it five times and being obsessed with it for years. So. Right. Yeah. Okay. This is a fanfic where it's like a after-death realm outside of Otori filled with shadows. And, like, Mikage's there filling out paperwork to get basically reincarnated. And it's like a very Buddhist version of being reincarnated, where it's like, you don't want to be reincarnated. That's the bad end. Like, being reincarnated means you're going back and being trapped yeah. in, like, you know, the illusion of the world. You're doing one more revolution. Right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I see what you did there. Ah. And so Mikage's there filling that out because Mikage died? Question mark? Whatever. Mikage was already dead, right? Mikage was already dead. Nomura was dead and Mikage was like a... Just a memory. A memory called up. Whatever. I I really wish we could audio... Get that that shrug in an audio format when you said died. (laughs) (laughs) It was a, a big shrug. Yes. And Shiori comes in and, like, she has to fill out her paperwork, too, because she's dead, because this is movie Shiori. And so, of all things, this fanfic is an extended conversation between post-series Mikage and post-movie movie Shiori. Which is so bizarre, because the movie, like, no, the, none of the characters are the same. Yeah, but, but Shiori is really not the same. Like, yes, especially of, you know, not the same. And that's one of the themes of this fanfic, is that Mikage's like, oh, do I know you? Wait, no, you're totally different. And oh, yes, Shiori ends up yes. talking to him a lot about that, about, like, who were you talking about? And he's, he tells her about her counterpart. And from their post-mortem position here, they can kind of see into the post-series continuity or, like, post-whatever, you know, stuff that's happening in the real worlds or whatever. And movie Shiori, of course, finds her TV series counterpart, like, disgustingly weak and pathetic, like she would. Because movie Shiori is this... I don't know how to talk about her. She's, like, grasping and um, manipulative. But so is the series Shiori. But series Shiori is motivated primarily by a, like, feeling of inferiority or, like, insecurity. Yeah, And you you don't get any inferiority or insecurity from movie Shiori most of the time. She's completely cold. Yeah. I mean, you only get... I feel you get the sense of that in her uh, at the very end of the movie in movie Shiori's immortal line. It was a mistake to think you're the only one who can turn into a car. I'm a car yeah, now, yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It, uh, yeah, and her manipulation is so much more severe in ways. Like, yeah. she's very explicit about not loving Jerry, yeah. like, and that but that she wants to twist her, like, break her in yeah. ways. She's very explicitly cruel. And I don't... I, I'm mixing it up, but I think... She always seems cruel in the anime version as well. But, but her feelings less, towards Jury are way more mixed up. Mixed up, because yeah. she feels like Jury betrayed her in some way, like... But she's also, like... Yeah. Totally looks up to her, might be in love with her. Right. It's not clear. It's very unclear. Like, yeah. m- like both Shiori's are pretty much shitty people but but one of them is of like a, a super villain and that's movie yeah story. one of them like really <laughs> the motivations are really not understood yeah and, and 
it's like, you know, I, I struggle to understand everyone's motivation in my life, no matter how cruel they can be. And I don't think understanding their motivation is ever an excuse. But maybe Shiori is definitely, like, doesn't seem to have much motivation other than she enjoys cruelty. Like, well, she's kind of sadistic. I, th- I think this fanfic has a characterization of movie Shiori that's very consistent with the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that unlike most people in this and Exit Pursued by a Bear, I... I can easily get her motivation if I was going to perform this one act. And her perform her motivation basically all the time is that she wants to feel superior to other people. Like that's what this fanfic she already seems to be it all about. It implies that her motivation is also insecurity. That's that does imply that, you're but right. But it just doesn't express really show, very differently, yeah. She doesn't really yeah, show any of the, the softer side of her that would make you feel any sympathy for that. And it's an interesting point as well because like regardless of whether you feel sympathy for that character that never excuses the actions. And I do think the actions of Mubishiori might be slightly harsher, but both characters' actions are pretty severe. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe we're led to have more sympathy in anime Shiori than Mubishiori. Absolutely, you are. Both... She's more sympathetic all it, around. Right, but they still both act bad. Like, maybe we're just seeing more, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, maybe she... I do think she acts worse in the movie, and I'm trying to uh, remember. Yeah. I'm trying to parse it in my head. So. But in this fanfic, though, I, I do understand what you're saying, Amada, where this this character's motivation seems pretty understandable. And actable. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, it, it would be fun. I, when they described, like, later in the fanfic where she was, like, curling up in Makage's lap out of, like, just coming from a bunch of negative realizations, it seemed yeah. kind of personable. And, and what she's seeking at the end there is, like, reassurance. Yeah. She's saying, yeah. like, um, the other me isn't grown up yet, is she? She's such an idiot. I hate her. I'm more special than she is, right? I wasn't stupid enough to believe your lies. And she's, like, seeking reassurance after seeing her other self kind of seem happy, but, like, kind of threatens yeah. how she makes choices and, like, how she thinks she should have led her life. Now, in contrast, in this fanfic... I have no idea where Mikage's coming from. Mikage's just, like, saying yeah, whatever... What? He's just saying whatever the fanfic author needs to, like, get the conversation yeah, what, going. Be, well, I, but that's an interesting point, because Mikage, in the source material, kind of isn't real either. That's true. It just, like, serves a function, and is also, like, a projection of Anthe, and is, like, serving a... Just a, like, just serving a function to, like, motivate someone, and, like, says what... Um, What's his face needs to hear? Um, Whoever needs to hear, anybody uh, yeah. actually. <laughs> no, this, this this one was really interesting, but I did struggle with the whole Shiori thing because she's not a very likable character. I like the setup and I like the imagery um, a lot. Like I like the introduction with with the shadow leading Shiori mm-hmm. in, and like the whole conversation there about forgiveness. Yeah, and the concept of this weird demonic waiting room. Yeah, exactly. Where, where they both had paperwork to fill out. Yeah. And Mikage was kept on trying to fill their out, and uh, Shiori was just ignoring it, and that was buggy Mikage. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. At the very end, like, when Shiori's seeking reassurance, Mikage's like, yeah, okay, and is, like, eyeing his clipboard longingly like he wants to get back to filling out the paperwork. <laughs> uh, the conversation when she first comes in, I like. Do you want to read that out? Sure. It's an empty waiting room with shadowy figures. Uh, Takatsuki Shiori enters with confidence, led by a shadow. So this is it, then? This is where you'll wait. Please fill out this form. It hands her a clipboard similar to Mikage's. It's very straightforward. We simply want to know more details so that we can properly place you into society. Place me into society? I didn't expect this. 
Where are the flames? Where are the instruments of torture? Don't be silly. You were a child. Everything children do is forgiven. By whom? The storyteller, of course. Though not necessarily the audience. Yeah. It turns suddenly. <laughs> Definitely not the audience. <laughs> That's what I like, where, like, I feel like some of the thematic tissue connecting to Exit Pursued by a Bear is this portrayal of the Otori world as a narrative mm-hmm. that is being performed to some extent and watched to some extent, but not knowingly by the people in it. More like kind of by the people surrounding yeah. that existence. It's also kind of a weird thing for these characters because they've been, because like they know they've done bad shit and they feel bad, but they, they, they've been told that they've been forgiven and it doesn't matter. So they're yeah. trying to context. Uh, but then, of course, later on, Mikage, well, who seems to have this, whoa. <clears throat> Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that the Black Rose arc is kind of about like not giving forgiveness. Like, everything that Mikage does is because he doesn't remember his own culpability for mm-hmm. Mamiya's death. And he kind of, like, wants other people to act just as badly as he feels that he did because he wants to not forgive himself and therefore not allow them forgiveness. So, And Mikage just... here, post-series, is the one who tells Shiori when she's saying, well, we're free now. We've escaped Shiori. Right. We've, es- we've escaped Shiori. <laughs> we've escaped Otori. <laughs> And Mikage is the one to tell her, like, no, we haven't escaped. We're, we're just, dead. like, mo- we're moving to a different coffin. Yeah, we're yeah. dead. Yeah, I like that ending line, too. We're, we're dead. Like, at the end, when we're neither children nor we're adults, what are we? We're dead. Yeah. And then, who says? Shiori. Oh, Shiori says it's better than being children, which I don't agree with. <laughs> um, it's, it's better than being a child was. Well, that's movie Shiori's perspective. And to movie yeah, Shiori being, agrees, being not in control have. of things... Yeah. Is anathema. How do you pronounce and that? And also uh, anathema. And anathema. I think. And, and also, you know, these are also two characters who I think had traumatic childhoods. Uh, like, we don't see much about Shiori's, but I think characters in Utna, like a couple, <laughs> many characters have had abusive childhoods. You know it's what I mean? A so safe like, assumption. <laughs> yes. So it, it is a safe assumption. And to say, like, yes. childhood is something that we as a culture will prescribe as a time of innocence but if it was a time of powerlessness and a time you were being abused that definitely affects you very very differently Mm -hmm. so I will say that like yeah there's a lot going on there which sort of expanding upon the themes of Utna in general talking about transitioning from childhood to adulthood Mm -hmm. and the different types of childhood gives you different expectations whether the expectations of being a prince or like having a fucked up childhood and trying to deal with <laughs> yeah. that transition in, 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 into an adult. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that's the thing that especially when you've had an abusive childhood, you look towards the freedom of adulthood only to realize the responsibility of adulthood and how much, how just as hard it can be if not sometimes harder. And some people can't deal with that and they might think that yes. being dead is better than being a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. With the la- last line of this particular fic that's true and and i definitely think that you know for these characters who died as young people as children they're saying it's better than being a child was to be dead because of what they endured during childhood Mm -hmm. but they don't know what it is to be an adult Mm -hmm. and that's they might think being an adult is worse like we all think growing up might be better for us some way when we're children and doesn't always work often doesn't work out that way so it's interesting 
Even though it's very depressing when you really look at it. <laughs> Just kind of like our, the last one was kind of depressing. The last yeah. one was very different. Um, I had never read this one before. I had read the other two. And I noticed one thing about this one, Hung Jury, which is that the other two were, as I said, posted on the author's fanfiction.net uh, account. And so was his longer Utena fanfic that we're not talking about, Shower Brooding. And this one was not, which implies to me that the author might not have been as satisfied with this one as with the other ones. Um, I didn't like it all that much either. Anyone want to describe it for me, for us? I was hoping somebody else was going to describe it so I can understand what it meant. Uh, I can give it a crack. I mean, essentially, we're looking at Jury is institutionalized because apparently after Shiori left, she just friggin' broke down and she's having visions of her and Shiori together, you know, being romantically involved. And in the meantime, Shiori is somewhere far away with her new boyfriend or whatever, doing whatever they do. I don't remember exactly what they're saying, but, you know, she might give Jury like kind of a second thought, but it's sort of in a pitying way. And um, what happens is Utna shows up to the hospital that Jury is at, being Jury's relatively delusional, and we're not sure how long she's been there. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong in any of this. No, that all sounds right. Yeah, yeah, Utna shows up expecting, I think, to see Anthe, and finds Jury. And, and in that moment, like, she's, Utna is surprised by who it is, but she somehow managed to motivate, manages to motivate Jerry to, you know, essentially snap back to herself and stop brooding over Shiori and move on and eventually walk out of the institution that she's being, that Jerry kind of like snapped because Shiori wouldn't love her. And, and, and it's a very bizarre thing. <laughs> um, it does anyway. use that word. I think, that, like, thank she, you. Yes. she had been yeah. strong, but, like, it, it's kind of presenting it as, of course, like, right. a, a that, role that she's that's performing. Right. That she regrains her strength because Utna comes to, like, cheer her up. And it's, well, like, early on in the fanfic. Mental illness is not a weakness. That's, like, that's the thing that made this fanfic upsetting to me. Early on in the fanfic, it's kind of describing how this relationship happened that she was putting up, you know, her, like, unbreakable juggernaut front. And. Somewhere along the way, she decides, she whispers to herself, if strength has never brought her to me, then I will see what weakness can do. And like, yes, and it's like you. she, it's like she then is kind of expressing weakness towards Shiori and the... As you, a you, manipulation you, 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 tactic, Well, almost, I mean, maybe. Or, maybe it's just or like maybe not, out, right? Or maybe, like, yeah, she's... But the implication that... Being mentally ill is a weakness. It's just, yeah, that was a, a huge part that really put me off from this shit. And, like, Utna, like, saving her as mm -hmm. a savior figure. It's like, that's not how this shit works. Like, you don't... So you don't... You're not just, like, I'm mentally ill today and I'm mentally ill not the next day. Like, you learn right. how to cope with your symptoms every day and with your realities. And this fic makes it seem like... She had a heart condition and someone gave her the right drug, and that drug was Utna's motivation. It's like, calm down. Well, it's also totally against the themes of the series itself, right? Having mm -hmm. Utna as a Bodhisattva-type figure who, like, actually is, like, a prince going Super around saving weird. people, when the point is that, no, that's not how 
the how point is that dynamics not, work. Yeah, that's not how the world works. And the point, point delusion that, that, that's an unre- that, unrealistic like, expectation of being an adult. Right. No one can exactly. do that for you, yeah. and no, you can't do that for everyone, and yeah. all that. But in this, Utna is like a prince, and there's even a conversation she has with like the ghosts of Mikage and Ruka, who are both bitter and clinging to the world, or whatever. whatever. And she's saying like that's. Mikage sneers because princes have power. The rest of us are pawns to, you know, everything in our lives. And Udna does say, but that's not true. Look, everything has changed. Look, Ruka, she's free and so are you. The revolution, see? But Which is insane. But there's no revolution. The revolution no. is just someone, you deciding that you can change what you're doing in your also, life. the revolution and Utna, you know, cracking the world's shell, all of that was a lot of delusional talk. Like, right. for Utna to start espousing that rhetoric seems really antithetical to her character and to the meaning of the series. I agree. Because the revolution was kind of an illusion in Utna. Utna kind of creates her own... Uh, anyway, she creates her own thing. That's fine. But it's mostly anti... It's, it, anyway... They're lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> the end. <laughs> the end. And so is Jury. The end. The end. And so the the fanfic didn't click with me. It's like, mm-hmm. w- what actually happens in this fanfic? Like, Jury is crazy. Shiori is with a boyfriend. Well, it... Utna magically appears, yeah. uh, fixes Jury, then it's over? Yes. Yeah. Is that basically That's basically it. it. Okay. <laughs> it's nonsense compared to the meaning of You're the not series. missing something. Like, That's pretty yeah, much it. really good. And it doesn't make sense for any of the characters. I'm not going to lie. Um, now, I said it feels really weird to have post-series Utna as a, like, Bodhisattva prince figure going around, mm-hmm. like, kind of in some weird, like, spectral sense. Because this is post-series. It's post-series. Right. Now... Yeah. The only thing I've got to say, though, is that years after this was written, Saito kind of does the same thing in her sequel manga. She has Utna in not quite the same, but a similar role, like going mm. around being princely while looking for Anthe, even though that's not at all how the end of the series worked. Um, so I don't know. I feel like there's something about that being what happens with Utna that clicks with various people, including the manga author. Um, I mean, Even if it's not really how I see that ending. Yes. I, I will say that something that Utna did at the end of the anime series, and I think at the end of the manga, it was decide to take on the princely role while at the same time abandoning the idea of being a prince while understanding you're giving that me a, a look. That was a weird look. <laughs> you gave me a look. But listen, um, being a prince as in being a man and being oh, yeah. an idealized male figure she decides that what she's taking from this role is the nobility and the desire to protect anthe well not having to perform masculinity for one nor perform a role as a fantasy character mm-hmm. like a prince because princes don't exist in this day and age you know she's not she's not trying to be anything that doesn't exist Bakken she's not trying to be yeah she's trying to be anything she's not and that doesn't exist, and she's not trying to be a man, she's decided that she, as Utna, a woman, is a noble and pure person that loves Anthe. And that's the princeliness that she takes into her next, you know, step of existence. Were that to come to fruition in the manga, instead she disappears. But my main point is, like, she realizes that there's something she's learned, 
which is the quality of character she carries in herself without having to adopt an external role, whether that be masculinity. And I think this is a big thing for Bush women, by the way, like learning to live outside masculinity and still exist as lesbians. Like all lesbians too have to exist this way. I think it's a big point for Utna's character. And this is a big thing for anybody is learning to exist as an adult without adopting a fantasy of what adulthood is because it's nitty and gritty too. Yeah. Um, and, and likewise, a fantasy about what, or a, a narrative imposed upon them about what her and Auntie's relationship should be or exactly. is supposed to be. That she has to be a prince, i.e. a man, in order to be with Anthe. She instead decides to be herself a noble person and be with Anthe. Yeah, I, I've heard a. I did a little bit of research, which is mostly involved looking up um, other people's explanations of Udna. Mm-hmm. And they talked about the character where it's like, it might seem at first they're talking about like bulking gender roles, but the point is more that Udna does what Udna wants because of the strength of their character, regardless yes. of gender roles at yeah. all. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a big thing is that Udna almost falls prey in the series to deciding between being a prince or a princess. Mm-hmm and portraying normative gender roles on one end of the spectrum or another. It's great that she has that choice, you know, in this. But she chooses something beyond that, and that's to be herself. And that's a huge thing, is that that's not encompassed in revolutionizing the world, necessarily. But Utna has created her own external narrative that isn't breaking the shell before the chick hatches, and it isn't either gender narrative. It's something that belongs uniquely to her. Which is a train of thought much more interesting than this last fanfic was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't grab us much. No. So those are all three of them that we've talked about, which makes this a weird kind of wrap-up. Um, is there anything that we particularly didn't like about these that hasn't come up yet? Uh, the uh, second one. Which one? The Other people. Other people. I wasn't a fan of the main conceit of that one, which was the characters being able, the characters from different franchises, basically, <laughs> uh, talking to each other about basically what happened in their respective franchises to, uh-huh. to each other. Um, to me, it seemed to kind of violate the writing rule of show, don't tell. Instead of kind of like um, trying to demonstrate differences between the worlds, there were, mo- there were very... Uh, plainly pointing out to different events which they could see from other people's universe and directly referencing that. Yeah, they've even got that omniscient perspective there. Yeah, if if this was a stage play, I would imagine like two people sitting on a the- black theater blocks then pointing out into the audience going, look there, do you see there? What what are you doing with that? <laughs> <laughs> so rather than a Utena TV series, Utena movie crossover, you would have been happier with Star Trek The Next Generation Utena movie crossover? <laughs> Uh, yes, but that's sort of beside the point. <laughs> I think um, it's a bit weird when you have like a crossover of two different things and the characters spend the entire time talking about their franchises rather mm-hmm. than being characters. Yeah. If there were differences in their worlds, I would have liked to see it explored more through characterization and dialogue rather than um, explicit retelling, which basically just them just repeating episode recaps to each other. Yeah, I think I still think the author does a good job giving or demonstrating or writing Shiori's character in that fanfic. Yeah. I, I don't think they do a good job with Mikage. I think that it was a dropped ball, and that might be like my least favorite thing of these. Even Hung Jury, which I didn't particularly like, I kind of 
Like, I, I get what the, what they were going for, and it's a short fanfic where they kind of, like, got to go in with their idea and get out. And so I can kind of, like, uh-huh. respect it as a fanfic in that sense. Yeah, I, I, I probably didn't like it, but I definitely respect that doing what they yeah. wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think it was particularly badly written. I just thought that the way they viewed mental illness was completely inappropriate. And, you know, obviously I'm always willing to forgive someone for a misunderstanding, and I feel like this fanfiction derived from misunderstanding. But that's kind of the problem but, when trying to use something serious as a plot yes, device. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't excuse it. It really doesn't. So I, I hope the author has at least learned what they did wrong in this. And, you know, like you were saying, Amato, they didn't post it on their main they site. Did so they, well, they didn't they... post it in their fanfiction.net okay. site, so which was repostings of stuff that they had already done. So, yeah, yeah, I would assume they were like, I'm not going to re-upload yeah. this, but it's archived forever on the <laughs> archive of... Unfortunately for them. Uh, Udna fanfiction repository. But personally, I just love the tone of Exit Pursued by a Bear. I, yeah. I was kind of into the characters of actors griping about their shit. Ooh, it was super mm. fun. And it, it struck a chord with me. It was just a personal favorite. It's definitely the most fun. Also, yes. It, the, well, it was read a lot like Waiting for Godot. And I, I loved that shit. I, I love that kind of shit, too. I know, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, when we were reading it out loud earlier, I was having a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I was having fun with that, too. Someday we could try reading Waiting for Minako, which goes weird places. Or, alternately, Hiroshi and Daisuke are dead. Those, those <laughs> oh being, my god! Those being the two like Ranma like extra guys in Ranma's class. Yeah. Also, does um exit pr- well that appeals to me. <laughs> <laughs> does exit pursued by a bear mean anything? It's a famous stage yes. direction. I'm not. I don't remember whether it's a stage direction <laughs> yes. that actually exists or whether it's like I think it might be from a Shakespeare play. Okay. Someone is I supposed think- to exit. The stage no, pursued, by, pursued yeah. by a bear. No, it is. Yes. Okay, that's good then. I, I don't know that. if it's Shakespeare or not. I don't remember correctly, but... Uh, do you have a favorite part, Tori? <sighs> I mean... Gosh. I really did, I really did like the first... Um, the Exit Pursued by a Bear. I, I loved the ending of that mm. with this the speech about death. I loved how much it reminded me of Waiting for Godot because they really are doing that, like, we're standing in a room and talking to each other, and it feels like there's this persistent, like, waiting for Utena, right? Because these characters are minor players. Um, I love that because, you know, I love Samuel Beckett and I love Waiting for Godot. (laughs) But, you know, there was a lot of that, like, they were trying to talk abstractly about in, you know... um, Oh, what is the right word for this? Talk about the media within the media. Um, meta narrative. Yeah, like yeah. yeah, exactly. Like kind of like talk meta about it. Um, I loved that. I wish they got a little deeper into it, but there were a couple points, like I mentioned earlier, where I was just like, "Huh, I want to talk to these people," <laughs> and that actually made me really engaged. Which, which, yeah. So that was fun. I really like seeing that in a franchise or a story or something where you're. Like talking to your book. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, no, you need to understand. This is what Uden is about. <laughs> anyway. I really like Exit Pursued by There also. I like other people more than you two do, but mostly on the basis of kind of um, scene and tone and more emotional, like more emotion in the conversation, at least from one of the actors' perspectives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, Shiori was definitely more dynamic character. Way more dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the author has done Sailor Moon fanfics, like I said. If someday, if you want to get back to this kind of weird 
playing around with the source material, we could explore them. But we are going a different direction next week mm. in a couple of ways. Hmm. For one thing, it's our first just flat-out non-anime fanfic. <gasps> yeah, I know. Is that even legal? Uh, well, we'll have to see if anyone notices. It's only legal if you... If, oh, it's only illegal if you get, get caught. caught. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to bring in different equipment, I think. Reinforce it. <laughs> Specifically, out. we're going to be reading Father's Heart by Fernwithy, and it's a Star Wars fanfic. I'll call it Star Wars is fun. The original series is uh, nice. Yeah. Yes, I mm-hmm. very much considered having us read an episode one fanfic, but no. I, in the end, I couldn't go with it. When I saw that there was a well-regarded fanfic featuring the characters that I actually want to read about which is yeah. Princess Leia and Darth Vader. So Excellent. we're reading a like Star the Wars glove of Darth Vader. featuring those two. <laughs> okay. The Glove of Darth Vader. Is, oh, yeah, never mind. About glove of Darth Vader? Is that one of the official fanfics? No, it's one of the original Star Wars stories. There's a copy of it around that bookshelf over there that I'm pointing to that are listening. That's what I was getting see. at, original oh, official uh, fanfics. Okay. Which is to no, say published thank novels. Thank you. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're a lot smarter than I am. But yes, that's like pretty uh, much true. Yes. Too bad. None of it's canon anymore. Yeah. Excuse Even you. Even more fanfic. Yeah, it's a Gone the Way of Mandalorian. Just That's so doesn't wrong. exist. Yep. So wrong. I'm so... Anyway. Never mind. Moving on. Next week we talk about Star Wars. This fanfic is on theforce.net, and we have a shortened link there at bit.ly slash rfr father's heart. Um, now, I'm not sending the link directly to the story. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that the rules of this fanfiction website are that Every fanfic must have cover art. And if I sent you straight to the story, you would not see the cover art. So instead, the link is going to go to a, like, top hits page there where that story, among others, will be so that we can experience the cover art before reading it. Okay, but I feel like we've read plenty of fanfiction without cover art, so explain yourself, Amato. I'm just amused that this website... Uh, I don't, I'm not talking about our website. I mean, oh. that this... This Star I Wars this website, website has I get it has to have cover art. Yes, yes. that's beautiful, and it's I kind fully of support this. It would have definitely kneecapped me if I was trying to write something at the time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you could have just drawn stick figures. It still would have been art. I would have had to. Uh-huh. <laughs> Probably drawn stick figures. Is there such a thing? Yeah, I, I can show you. <laughs> Bust out a copy of Emma's paint. And I'll show you. <laughs> All right, well, we'll make that our new graphic for next week. Great. <laughs> this was episode seven of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, John Carp's short Utina fanfics. You can find a copy of them on the Utina fanfiction repository hosted at otori.new, and we are providing a link there at bit.ly slash rfr John Carp Utina. The intro song for this show is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. Have questions, comments, or thoughts about this episode? Send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com and we will probably, we may end up featuring you on a show (laughs) so we have more to talk about. Because clearly that's a main issue. We have trouble just going on and on and never stopping, and we need more to talk about. We're, we're, we're like an awkward couple or something. We're just looking for... A, a throuple. Yeah. A throuple. We're, we're just looking for another person to to help break up this awkward silence. That's right. That exists mm-hmm. between all of us. It's true. So send us your icebreaker emails. <laughs> In the meantime, I'm Amato. 
I'm Tori. I'm Dom. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other. Until next time, take care. Okay, we love you. Bye-bye. Bye.